Welcome to the Odds Checker Masters podcast. I'm your host, George Ellis. I'm joined by two very expert guests. On my right is, of course, the Odds Checker's legendary tipster, Niall Lyons, who's come over from Belfast this morning. And to my left, Dylan Byrne, a quantitative analyst for 15th Club, who's come over from Dublin. So this is going to sound, I mean, I think I'm going to sound unbelievably posh here because it's <laughs> a bit of a two Irishmen either side of me. But um, firstly, before we get into, I mean, this is my favourite time of the year. Um, I've managed to book a flight to Italy on open weekend, which means that this year, this Masters is especially important because I'm probably going to miss the second best weekend of the year. Um, but before we get into what it takes to win Augusta and asking you both kind of who you're looking at and, and the stats that are important uh, to picking the winner, um, Dylan, can you just give us, for people who don't know, just, just give us a brief intro as to uh, what the 15th Club do. And uh, for those who haven't heard of you, I, mean, I think they'll be pretty, uh, they'll know quite well some of the work that you guys have been instrumental in, in doing in golf recently. Yeah, um, I guess, on, you know, kind of at a high level, we're a data analytics company. Um, there's, there's basically two parts to the company. So there's 15th Club, which is the golf side, and then there's 21st Club, which is the football side of the business. Um, the 15th club side started back in 2015 uh, as part of kind of a project that uh, Darren Clark wanted to bring in data analytics and kind of some statistical uh, analysis into Ryder Cup decisions and picking parents, picking players and um, different things like that. So that's how it started and it kind of developed on from there. Um, so more recently we've got a deal with the European Tour to provide a platform for uh, calculating strokes gain for players in the European Tour, um, and kind of at the minute now we've we've spread into working individually with about thirty different players and work with Sky Sports as well, kind of providing different insights to them to to try and tell the story of what's going on a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that's the the general summary of what we do. And I think you know I have to blow your trumpet for you. Like you you were fairly instrumental. I think the first person that or well, the first people that Danny Willett thanked after his Masters win was the 15th club. I think you were fairly instrumental from what I've heard from your colleagues in, in some of the pairings in, in the Nacional as well last year. So it seems like you're having a, a fairly big input, not only into the way that, that golf stats are digested, but also you know the, the play itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess on the Danny Willett story, I suppose Danny was kind of, he was conscious that he mightn't have been able to prepare as well as he could for the Masters that year, because he'd obviously just had a baby. Um, so he kind of, wanted to, to get some help on that. So that was a big part of that. Um, and then more recently, obviously in France, yeah, that was a, that was a big success. So we were kind of, uh, we did some work on obviously the course and then the pairings and, and the different players that would play there. So yeah, as it played out, I mean, obviously the players played incredibly well, but um, I think it played out, you know, pretty well for, for the team and for us kind of in the way that the course set up impacted the <clears throat> the overall result. So yeah, it was good. So we have you to thank for Hollywood. Is that is that basically it? Uh, that was a, yeah, that was a good one. That was kind of a because the way we try and do it is like a kind of a, a combination of obviously you can't kind of do too much with stats, but you can you can start the process. So uh, we kind of send over some initial thoughts to Thomas and the captains, and then they'd come back with oh, you know, how does this work and how does this look? So then we'd kind of go over and back a little bit. So I think originally, I think uh, Fleetwood was like the second best partner for Molinari. But then, you know, when you factor in the kind of personal relationships and things like that, then um, <laughs> evidently it worked out very well. But yeah, it was great. Like, I mean, the whole process with the captains was, was excellent this time and it worked very well, you know, in both directions. I was behind the ropes. I'm sure you were inside them and it was a pretty special weekend. 
Um, Niall, famously not a massive fan of the Ryder Cup, and, uh, and I think you, as you always say, you support the Yanks as well, so I'm hoping <laughs> you're sitting here very smugly uh, at the moment. But in fairness, you can sit even smugger because you are currently 83.27 points up um, with your tipping in 2019, so showing no signs of slowing down after what was an unbelievable year last year. Um, how do you, approaching this Masters, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people out there, myself included, who like to bet on the Masters and do so kind of using their own methods, feel like this is one of the easier competitions to, to, to bet in because, in my opinion, you can draw a line through a fair few of the runners. But I know that you, whilst agree with that, feel slightly differently as well. Yeah, I just think down the years I've had a much better record in the other majors, particularly the US Open and the Open Championship here. Uh, as you say, like it, it is a limited field at Augusta, and obviously there's thirty or forty out the back that you know can never really compete. So the, the field is is limited somewhat, and plenty of people then think it's it's much easier to pick a winner. But you know, I look at the likes of Carnoustie last year, where you look at the aspects of the course and how you know players will need to keep the ball and play from tee to green, this that and the other. You know, you, you can narrow down the field in a championship like that a lot easier I think than Augusta and I know everybody says you know big hitters at Augusta those who hit it right to left off the tee and things like that and you can whittle it down that way but I think at Augusta it was just out of those 20 or 30 players at the top who, who have really good legitimate chances of winning I think it's very hard to choose between them every year. And it's interesting because I mean the reason why obviously you think you can draw a line through these players is because Every year, the competition is held at Augusta National, and you've mentioned, you know, the, the long hitters um, theory that you need to be able to hit the ball at a certain distance. I mean, there have been players in the past that have, you know, maybe paid to that idea. You know, the likes of you know, Luke Donald definitely should have or, or could have won the year that Rory fell away. Um, you're, you're looking at Zach Johnson, who's obviously done very well there before. And then, you know, reading. I mean, anyone who hasn't read Ben Coley's Player by Player Guides, um, I would recommend it on Sporting Life. Um, and I was reading through it and he talks about Brandon Grace and Brandon Grace looks like a massive price currently at 150 to 1 but as he mentions um, you know he can't as you need to hoist it up high and land it like a feather on a bed of bubblegum which I thought was a good way of saying you know you need that high ball flight on Augusta in order to, to basically access pins so what, what is it I mean what is the is the game um, I mean we'll, we'll come to you first now and then we'll look at it more statistically but what just in terms of, of player shape the player the, the kind of game that you need the, the trajectory that you need um, what are you looking for at Augusta? Well, there's, there's a myriad of, of things that you, you really need. You obviously, long hitting, as I mentioned, is important. And you look at the stats down the years, it is those who win and finish in the top five have always been big hitters. You know, the, obviously, the grass at Augusta and the fairways is all mowing towards the tees. It makes the course so much longer. You know, what is it on the yard? It's 7,300 roughly, but it could play up to. 7,007, 7,008 really when, when you take yeah. that grass into consideration. So short hitters, whether they can, whether they can win it nowadays is a, is a big question. Like, you know, obviously you had Zach running it you know, a number of years ago, that was a fair way to go to egg. Recently, uh, Willett and, and Spieth, even so that, Spieth I I say, they're not that big hitters. Like, yeah. you know, even Paddy Reid, he, he gets the ball out of fair way, but maybe not as big as some of the others. So, what do you think last year on that final day you've got Reed out in front, and then it's Ricky and I mean, Ricky obviously hits the ball a fair way, but with Ricky and uh, and, and Speed chasing, doesn't that kind of uh, go against the idea that it's a promise paradise? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think you, 
those guys do get it out there, you know, yeah. towards 300 and past 300. But one of the most important things for me in the last couple of years, I've thought, has been uh, ball trajectory coming into the greens. You really need a high ball fight, I think. Uh, particularly to take advantage of a number of power fours that come at the end of the week, I think, will be really important to the scoring. Uh, 14th, for example, obviously, you see on the final day, there's some fav favourable pin positions. Seventh is another with a favourable pin position on the Sunday where you see balls just you know rolling up to the hole, easy birdies all the time. But there's a number of par fours where you really do need to capitalise on, and I think high ball side is a big advantage on, on those holes, particularly throughout the whole course. And obviously, the way that Nala and I are talking at the moment, then it's fairly. You know, it's, it's not very really stats based it's just rhetoric uh, so how I mean what kind of statistical advantages and numbers do you do you weigh heavily at Augusta um, well I had a look actually at, at kind of some of the numbers obviously for the winners in the top tens over the last few years but also their numbers leading into the event because that's you know that's where we are right now we're trying to pick somebody based on their numbers at the minute so they both kind of showed up pretty similar patterns in that you know at a high level the player it sounds very simple, but they need to be in really good form coming into the event. Um, you know, it's generally you're not going to win unless you're playing at a kind of uh, what we found is like the average is two point six strokes gained on the field per round, which is like top five in the world. Kind and of standard. Just on the, because I'm sure strokes gained will come up a fair bit for those people who don't necessarily understand that metric. Can you, in, in layman's terms, explain? Because you see strokes gained putting, strokes gained tee to fairway, fairway to green. I mean, how how do you very simply how do you measure that? Yeah, so. Uh, the strokes gain total number is just the player's, player's score minus the field average. So if somebody shoots a 71 and the field average is 72, they've gained a stroke on the field. And then we break that further down into off the tee approach shots around the green and putting. Um, the way we break it down is basically the average number of shots from wherever a player is taking the shot from minus the average number of shots from where it finishes minus one, because they've taken a yeah. shot in between. So if, it, if you're 400 yards away in the fairway, or 400 yards away off the tee, it's about four shots to the to the hole. So if you put it to, say, uh, you know, 80 yards away and you're in the fairway, then you're going to have gained probably about a quarter of a stroke off the tee. Um, so that's, yeah, that's roughly the yeah. the summary of it. And the same principle for putting. Um, so if, you know, if you're in a position where you're, eight feet away, that's about a stroke and a half on average. So if you hold the putt, then you've gained half a stroke on the field by holding that putt. Um, but yeah, so to go back to that, so the, the, the high level is that the player needs to be in good form. They need to be playing roughly at a level of a top five in the world player coming into it. Um, and then more specifically, it's the approach play and the, the off the tee to an extent, but more more specifically approach play as they come in. So nobody has actually, gone back to 2007, nobody has won coming in gaining less than 0.2 of a stroke per round on approach, um, which is, that actually counts out quite a, a good chunk of the field. Um, and then following on into the winners and the, the top tens at the event itself, the average kind of 11th uh, ranking in approach play at, at the event. So, you know, they gain about 6.3 strokes on average uh, on approach compared to kind of 2.3 off the tee. Um, then there's another factor that needs to be added in, I think, on the week. So coming into it, a player's putting form isn't necessarily that important. Um, seven players since 2007 have actually won coming in with negative strokes gained average in the previous 50 rounds or so. Um, 
but they need to be able to get hot that week with the putter, which is, you know, it's no surprise to anybody, but it's, uh, it's something that I was a little bit surprised that their form coming into it is less relevant, but there's, you know, there's a big requirement on the week because uh, for winners, actually, they gain about 6.9 strokes on average um, on the greens, so even more so than, than the approach place. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of key findings that we've, we've got at the minute, that coming into it, you need to be gaining strokes on approach, but then you need to have the ability to get hot on the greens in the week. I mean, yeah, it all seems to make pretty good sense, and I think the always the, the issue with golf punting is, is trying to work out who's going to get hot on the, on the green. It's, it's a pretty impossible thing to do. And does that not kind of play into how you approach picking your players, what you've just heard from Dylan there? I mean, is it basically incorrect to look too hard at putting stats before Augusta? Something that I don't particularly look at personally. Uh, you know, week to week of any event, I think you just got to. Uh, as you say, just try and get a bit hot on the greens. Yeah. You know, obviously you got the likes of Spieth, you know, a, a number of years ago, he was just absolutely outrageous on the greens and you could count on him almost every week, especially when he was in form and holding putts, kind of went through streaky periods. But yeah, it's hard to tell, you know, you definitely couldn't rule anybody out mm. down the list who, who hasn't been putting great lately, in my opinion anyway. Uh, you know, I've looked at the last three or four winners and, uh, Big stuff for me was has to be par four scoring. Uh, the last three winners have both have all ranked first in that stat over the week, and I think that's uh, you know you'll hear plenty of people saying in order to contend here, in order to win, you're going to need to make your score in the par fives, and that, that, you know that there's no doubt that you do need to capitalize on the par fives. But the difference between you know a, a top twenty or a top ten and maybe winning it. Will be the will be the par four score. I think it's just limiting bogeys, and you're getting a score somewhere in the region from level par to roughly five under on the par fours. I think that'll be the talent difference between someone just in contention or the winner. We've spoken now there for about kind of in-game stats a fair bit, and Dave Tyndall wrote a piece on Betfair about kind of the trends that maybe. I mean, some people are very trends-based and they look into this a lot. Some people think that it's uh, it's not particularly. Valuable, but a couple of interesting ones. You know, ten of the last ten winners were aged under forty. Not a massive surprise there. Bad news for Matt Kuchar, who's just turned forty. Um, nine of the last ten have been ranked in the world's top thirty, suggesting that you know class does really come to the fore here. Um, ten out of ten have played at least one Masters before, so no surprise that you need some course form. Um, ten out of ten have also posted a top thirty-eight at Augusta. Nine out of ten are top thirty in the past as well, and ten of the last ten had posted a top ten winner that season. So it's not particularly surprising all of that it's basically just saying good players go well um, and you need a bit of course form um, but the one I'm going to take out of that and discuss now is that stat that nine of the last ten have been ranked inside the world's top 30 and as such we'll look at the, the top end of the market um, straight away so I'll quickly run through the, the current prices and um, this is being recorded on, on the Wednesday the week before um, so you know if for example uh, Jordan Spieth goes and wins in Texas this weekend we can obviously expect his price to, to shorten fairly dramatically um, if you're listening to this in the run-up to the weekend but at the moment Rory McIlroy is, uh, is 7 to 1 Dustin Johnson is 10 to 1 Tiger Woods 14 to 1 Justin Rose 14 to 1 Justin Thomas 18 to 1 uh, John Rahm is 18 to 1 Ricky Fowler 22s Jordan Spieth 25s Francesco Molinari 25s Paul Casey 28s Kepka and Fleetwood the same price um, and then DeChambeau Day 33s Hideki Matsuyama 35s then 40 to 1 bar um, so of those, I mean, we'll start 
towards the top end, as we should, um, with Roy McIlroy, who's having, in many respects, um, a, a pretty unbelievable um, season, except for Sundays. Uh, and that seems to have changed a little bit with that win a couple of weeks ago at the players. Uh, a really important win, undoubtedly there. Um, so let's start with Rory Noyle. He's a, he's a player. I mean, he needs this for his for the, for the career, the career a major slam. Um, he's obviously gone well at the track before, um, very famously without being able to to win there. How do you think he comes into this one? And do you think that seven to one is a fair is a fair price? I think it is a fair a fair price. Yeah, uh, one that I haven't really decided yet whether I'll back or not, but certainly certainly in the mix. Uh, he's, he's played brilliant all year. He really has and. Uh, as we say, just on the Sundays, it just hasn't been performing up to a standard. And Sawgrass, I think, can fall into that bracket as well, to be honest. Uh, I think it was just maybe a shade lucky that a, a good bunch of others didn't turn up with their best game that day either. Dustin Johnson was poor, a couple of others, you know, at the end of the day, the main, his main rivals on, on the Sunday towards the finish were Jim Furyk and Johnny Vegas. You know, it, it's, you know, but again, it's a win at Sawgrass and... It, I think it was five top fives on the trot, or top sixes on the trot since the start of the year in in Hawaii, and uh, I think the play, I think the, the defeat in the mass play to Tiger hurt last week. Like, I was surprised at how much it meant to yeah. both of them. Obviously, you know I'm not a massive fan of mass play, but uh, I think it took a lot out of Tiger, as we've seen afterwards. And I think I was McIlroy didn't talk to the media and all after. I think he was, I think he was quite disappointed with that defeat, but. Come on, Augusta. He's just in great form, and it was kind of heartache for us last year. Obviously, we had backed him, and uh, he had just a shade of odds on after the seven hole, where he stuck it into a couple of feet for the eagle, and then missed the putt. He, he holds all the aces, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he's, he's. I find it hard just not to see him out of the shake. He has to be in the top five. Just can't see him not being there. One of those when there's place terms at the moment. Coral will go go ten places. And they are understandably for that reason basement price at six to one. But you'd think the price, the place terms will open up in the next few days, and then if you're getting kind of ten or so places around that seven to one mark, then then it looks like a decent decent crack. And and we spoke about the player that you want to have at Augusta, you know, distance off the tee and high ball flight with your approach play. I mean, McIlroy seems to fit that bill pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah, very much so. I mean, he's he's probably got one of the higher ball flights on tour. Um, so obviously that's a big benefit. I mean, I'm just looking at his ranks worldwide this year in, in the four different areas so he's he's first off the tee he's 15th in approach 31st around the green and 80th in putting which is you know 80 doesn't sound that impressive but it's when you consider worldwide both tours it's a very very impressive stat particularly for him um you know he's miles clear of the the kind of recent strokes gained rankings worldwide as well so he, he's definitely the, it's, it's no surprise he's the forum guy he's got He's got super history here over the last five years. He's got the third best scoring average of anybody around the course. So, I mean, it's it's absolutely a fair price, I think, at that. And the two ahead of him, Spieth and Rose? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Spieth is 3.3. In the last five years, 3.3 strokes gain per round. Justin Rose, 2.7, and then Rory's 2.5. And then Paul Casey's actually 2.4, which is interesting. quite an interesting one to throw in there. Yeah, he was my last year. He was my big bet for top 20. Then buried and then suddenly he shot a very low score on yeah. Sunday, which was great to see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we can, we can be fairly positive on Rory's chances there. We're not really taking him on as a, as a vulnerable favourite. Um, and second in the betting is, is Dustin Johnson at 10-1. to 1. 
um, who, who had a tricky time of it in the match play. I don't think we want to, we want to pay too much attention to that. And in typical style, he preceded that with four top tens in a row, including a win in the w, WGC at Mexico. Um, and he's another player who I think, Niall, it's fair to say, um, you're sweet on his chances too. Yeah, well, he's, he would be the one pick at the minute that I'm pretty sure that, that I will bet or I've already started betting in the last couple of months. Uh, just doing absolutely nothing wrong, in, uh, even in defeat. And obviously, he, he's got the exact, almost the exact same game as Macro, as we say, just uh, bombs it off the tee and, and, and the hydrodactyl ball fight, which really helps. Uh, he's in the top 10 of that par 4 scoring average this season as well, which is important for me. Anyway, and uh, obviously ticks all the trend boxes basically of the top five finishes and, and obviously a, a win earlier on in the year is a big advantage heading to Augusta as well although he's got two with the win in Saudi Arabia as well but yeah it ticks all the boxes for me and I find it hard to see how to shake up to him it's very very boring <laughs> I don't like myself saying it but the, the two the top two in the market looks so strong to me in this. He's going to touch the top two and top two and take yeah, a 7 2 shot, I think. It's a big possibility, and I'm already fearing having to do it next week in the back draft again whenever the preview goes I don't out, think when people turn on this podcast, they want to hear you tipping up the top two in the market now. I hope you'll get, <laughs> get some value later on. I mean, can you pour any, any, any cold water, I should say, on that? I'm, I'm DJing on that, really. Uh, I think for me, if I was choosing between Beck and Rory at sevens and DJ kind of nines or tens, I'd probably take DJ. Yeah. I don't think there's that much of a gap between them. I think Rory's obviously in slightly better form at the minute. Um, but looking a little bit longer term, DJ just so rarely plays badly. You know, you find, like, the players is a good example where didn't really seem to be there. He wasn't kind of in contention. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, his name pops up on the leaderboard. He just does that so often. Um, he misses cuts so so rarely, and you know I'd be very surprised if he was outside the top ten. But I, I yeah. worry about his putting just at the moment, like this last number of weeks of, you know, obviously he struggled. Well, that's a positive, yeah. But it's just struggled with a putter obviously down the years. He's had so many changes, and then I think early on in the year he went back to a putter that he won the US Open with and all, and I was quite happy with that because I was thinking on Masters and you know he's on that line. But in the last couple of weeks that I'd watched him and Sawgrass as well, he missed plenty of putts, it's the one worry for me, that obviously the greens at Augusta are that slick and fast and plenty of people will miss putts and even the best of them will miss putts but that's the one negative for me. And again, Niall, despite that, that uh, you know, the drift in the form, he's a player that you, you're going to look to get with? Yeah, I haven't totally made up my mind whether we're going to back him yet but as you say, uh, at the back end of the last year, if, if, if someone told you you were going to get 20 to 1 plus about him to win the major, then you would jump at the chance. Obviously, recent form really does take a bit of a hit, but you know, in betting terms, sometimes you've got to think long term, just got to think of the price. And uh, he's won three of his last six majors. I think he missed, he's missed two in the, in the last couple of years through injury, but three out of the last six majors, if anybody else, arrived here in that major form you would be lucky to see double figures about them it's just strange he does uh, remain to be a, a kind of unpopular figure in the betting market uh, and almost in the media as well you know I think a few in his team and around him have, have said that you know he wins the US Open and goes in the press conference like there's nobody there to listen to him kind of thing. Nobody, yeah. nobody wants to hear. You know, and it's not through a dislike of him. I think it's just because of the manner of his wins. And uh, It feels to me like if there's anyone in this field who could care less yeah. about winning the Masters, it would be Brits Koepka. 
yeah, but that's obviously been an advantage down the yeah, last couple of years. And, you know, uh, a lot of the the recent major winners, and especially at Augusta here in the last ten years, have been first time major winners as well. That kind of proves, you know, even those with major experience and who have got over the line, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's a positive in the end. But for Kapka, as you say, he's just that so lackadaisical thinking about it and. I think that turn, turns into an advantage and he's got all the tools for Augusta when you think about it. everything's there and he's improved year on year I think he finished 33rd then maybe 22nd and then 11th last time out at Augusta that's not too bad uh, obviously you're, there's plenty of trends there to tell you to look for you know someone who's landed at the top 10 but that's three improvements in, in three years there and he just can't be far off at the start of the year I was maybe thinking he could go off favourite for this yeah, it's just obviously the recent form, that, that, you know, and, and obviously recent bass that, that makes that you know, twenty twenty eight to one sit there. But I couldn't put anyone off at the minute. Well, the good news is that there's a man who, who's going to try and put you off. Hopefully, to my left now. Um, yeah. So I, we we spoke before um, about kind of the, a couple of positives and a couple of negatives, and you had you had Brooks down as a as a negative. Yeah, just I think it probably ties into what Niall was saying a little bit. I mean, just the recent form is is the big thing putting me off. I mean. Look, it wouldn't be a massive shock, obviously, to me if he if he went out and won it. But personally, uh, like I said, it's very rare for someone to come into this event and win it, having not been in good form beforehand. Or that's what the numbers would suggest. Anyway, I think Angel Cabrera came in and won it in roughly similar form to what uh, what Brooks is in now. I think that's the first time those two have ever been compared. So Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's the only one that's won it at a, a level that he's playing at right now. So that would be the big thing that would put me off him. Um, and look, it, it is a good price at that, but it uh, probably would be a, a lay for me. And uh, we're going to have to return the favour now, so I'm going to come to you and one of your positives in, in Justin Thomas, who's currently 18 to 1, and a player that, that you like the look of coming into this. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think he fits all the boxes that I kind of spoke about before. Um, he's right up there. I think he's, he's top five in, in short term strokes gained on the field. Uh, he's obviously kind of well up in that, the long term numbers as well. In 2019, so far, he's fourth in approach play worldwide. Um, leads the PGA Tour in shots from 125 to 150, which are pretty key around Augusta. Uh, there, you know, that's kind of one of the most common yardages there. So there's just a huge amount of positives for me. Um, again, doesn't play that badly all that often. So, uh, you know, worst case scenario, if we're getting 10 places on it, I'd, uh, I'd definitely have a go on him. Is there a concern? Maybe... Maybe I should, because I know that Nala, he's one of your next. So maybe I'll, I'll put it to the floor with this one rather than going to one of you. Masters record um, is tied 39th, tied 22nd, tied 17th. For most players, that would be a, a, a decent record at Augusta, but I think it's probably quite underwhelming for, for JT. To a certain extent, yeah, but at, at the end of the day, we've seen Will at the one, I think his best place finish previous to that at the Masters was 38th. And... Uh, there was a couple, there's been a couple of others. I think when Bubba won his previous best finish when he first won it, his previous best finish was around 40th. And you know, there's definitely those finishes by Thomas in the last couple of years are definitely good enough to uh, suggest that he can contend and, and possibly win here. He's one of them golfers I just find very hard to judge, and I just don't know which courses to back him on. Uh, he does have you know all, all the tools, but as we say, for Augusta, he hits the ball a long way and. Obviously, he's a top-class golfer, but he just hasn't really impressed me all that much this season. Uh, 
obviously his results are great compared to most, but yeah, he, he's not a huge positive for me. Another man that you like, uh, Dylan, is, a, is a, the player that I was pretty confident I would be backing this Masters, um, but the recent form slightly uh, dissuaded me in, in Zander Shoffley. Um, a, a unbelievable season last year. Seems to play very well in, in small field, field events, in, in events with, with, with class fields as well. Um, that ridiculous hot streak seems to have tailed off a little bit. Having said that, I mean, he missed the cut of the players, but, but except for that, it's all top 30s. Tied 24th, uh, worst, tied 25th at the Farmers. Um, he's 45 to 1 at the moment, world number 10, so certainly fits the bit of a top, top 20, top 30 player as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he kind of fits, you know, again, going back to some of the things that I picked out, he's obviously, when you look at his form, <clears throat> you know, it mightn't look that impressive in the numbers, but the, the strokes gained against the field, which is kind of what I'm basing a lot of it on, is good enough to kind of qualify. He's, he's plus 2.32, which is slightly below the average for winners, but it's, it's definitely there, thereabouts. Um, He's 17th in approach this year worldwide, which again is, is top quality, 21st uh, off the tee um, and 37th in putting. So, you know, he's, he's got a very well-rounded game, which is, you know, I would expect that's going to be key. I had a look at, um, you know, I kind of touched on getting hot with the putter as well. So he's got, uh, he's got one of the highest percentages of events where he gains four strokes or more with the, with the putter, um, you know, of the top players. So I think that's, it's like like you said, it's tough to quantify how likely a guy is to get hot with the putter, but when he does, he tends to be the kind of player who will either be very hot or kind of average with the putter, which is kind of what you want around Augusta. So we know he's got the approach play, he's got the play off the tee, he's got the potential to get hot with the putter. And then obviously, you know, he's a quality player, he's number ten in the world, so I think the forty five to one is a, a very generous price on him at the minute. And I guess that you know, the tie fifty last year definitely not a negative so he's, he's got the course form behind him um, he may have done particularly well but he made the cut yeah, yeah. and it shows that he, he can do it there um, we'll come on to a couple of players that you guys don't like in a second but we cannot um, there are two players that we need to touch on I think um, probably three players we need to touch on before we move on towards the, the other end of the market um, firstly let's talk about Tiger um, Tiger is 14 to 1 for this um, third favourite which I can't even say it without, without having a little grin on my face because I um, can't think of anything better um, like as it was at the Open Championship but even better to see Tiger in red on a Sunday challenging for another green jacket um, it's, it's so hard I mean it's easier now I guess to, to work out whether or not he's, he's a price and that wasn't what we were talking about this in our last year when it was all a bit up in the air um, but how do you assess Tiger's chances coming into this? I was quite impressed with him last week at the match play for the first time this year and I kind of get the impression that maybe that was the first time this year that he's actually really cared or wanted to win mm. you know not that I'm accusing him of that on any other events like but uh, coming up against McElroy in the match play I think really teed him up but he you know he, he knew that was on the horizon if he got through the, through the groups you know uh, obviously played some spectacular shots there last week holding out from the fairway as well yeah I was quite impressed with him then and I think he could contend here I definitely wouldn't be betting him around that price given the form of of the, of the two ahead of him in the market for a start uh, you know, far other back DJ at 10s than, than Tiger at 14s but I do think he has every chance and uh, yeah what, what else can I say about it as you say it would be unbelievable to see it those two maybe they're three at the top of the market going head to head on, on the Sunday uh, thoughts on Tiger? yeah I mean I think he, people have probably underestimated just how well he's played uh, over the last year or so I think I remember looking towards the end of last year that 
if the world rankings had started at the start of 2018, he would have been fifth, I think, or yeah. fourth maybe. So, you know, he's been right up there. I think since the start of this year, he's been basically the sixth best player in the world, um, you know, based on his strokes gained. And then one of the key things, again, as I've said numerous times now, the approach play is 18th in approach play worldwide. Um, so, you know, the, the quality's there. <laughs> I don't think there's any question that he can win it. Um, you know, but it's just, it depends on, on how he shows up. But, yeah, like Niall said, I wouldn't, I'd take DJ ahead of him at 10s, then, then 14s and Tiger, but definitely won't be laying him because uh, I don't want him coming up to stretch on Sunday with me, me cheering against him. Yeah, well, and I think we'd all love to see uh, Patrick Reed putting the green jacket on Tiger Woods after, uh, after what happened in, uh, in Paris as well. Absolutely. Uh, we'll lump two of these, of these guys in together. We, we've touched on it briefly before. Um, but arguably, I mean, Jordan Spieth is um, quite clearly, at least in recent years, years the, an Augusta specialist. Uh, Justin Rose's record there, also absolutely unbelievable. Although you have to think that maybe uh, what happened back in 2017 um, somewhat derailed him last year, uh, where he was a little bit below par, um, given his record there in the past. Uh, Spieth, it's impossible. I mean, it, ridiculous to see him in that first uh, round of the, of the match play last week, having not been able to, having struggled with the putter so much, then go and hit two fairways and, and hold putts from absolutely everywhere. Yeah. It seems impossible to work out um, how to judge Jordan Spieth's game at the moment, but at the same time, going into Augusta, he's 25 to 1. Is this like a once in a lifetime opportunity or is this one to, one to stay clear of? Who knows? We'll see in a couple of weeks. But, uh, <laughs> There were signs last week, there were signs, and uh, coming back from three or four down and a couple of matches to contend, I think, were, were uh, just a sign that, you know, that fight's still in him anyway, you know, the, the thing that really impressed us, and obviously when he won the Open, obviously he had to really fight for that, it's great to watch him fight for the championship side, because he's never perfect, you know, mm-hmm. that's what's so exciting to watch about him, but he arrived here uh, the last couple of years in not great form either. And I still managed to pull it off, not not to win in the last couple of years, but contend. And uh, can I see it happen again? Yes, definitely. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens this week in Texas. Uh, you might think it might be the perfect kind of pipe opener. You know, he's been able to stay you know, probably at home in Texas for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Just get back to a little bit of form, a little bit of continu- you know, continuity ahead of the this big weekend. Well, he was the first one in the range at the mass play last week as well. I think he arrived on the Sunday and it was quite, you know... Just impressed to see him really working on the game, and obviously he will be. And you know, you go through a period like that in his career, the amount of work that he must be putting in is huge. You know, just to get back to where he was, and I fully expect him to get back to that kind of form again. It'll probably be this year, but uh, throughout that whole period of bad form, you were waiting on the drift. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah, no. it's only really happened in the last week or two. And now you get now you get twenty to one or whatever, but twenty five at the moment. You, you could you couldn't back it. Yeah, well, I'm tempted. But <laughs> <laughs> what do you? I mean, let's, let's talk about both of them, Rose and Spieth. I mean, today, firstly, as I say, they're the two um, core specialists here. Do their games kind of match up to, to necessarily what we've been speaking about? And who of the two would you rather be siding with this uh, this weekend? Oh, of the two, it would definitely be Rose. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the. The simple answer to that, I think Rose's record around here actually is probably underappreciated. It's yeah. it's it's pretty comparable to Speed. You know, obviously without a win, but I mean generally he's done it over a longer period. It's been it's been comparable to to what Speed has done, which is incredibly impressive. And you know, Speed obviously gets all the plaudits for uh, for being the the master specialist, but Rose is equally so. Um, 
I mean, Speeds, yeah, like you'd have to almost reserve judgment on him until after this week. It sounds funny, but I was listening to a podcast that he was on this morning, actually, and, um, you know, he talked about kind of getting a better understanding for a swing and where it is, and he had some kind of feelings that weren't working for him that worked in the past, but he seems like he's getting back to where he, you know, he wants to be and a kind of positive place with a swing. So if he is, then, and he goes well this week, then, you know, that 25 to 1 won't last very long. But, um, yeah, I could definitely see him contending, but I just think if you're... If you're having a bet at the minute, it'd have to be rolls in. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like when you when you want to back a horse, but you know it often misses the break, and you want to back it just after it breaks. But you, you think with him, if he's if he's two under after six, you're probably going to be looking at yeah. a kind of six to one shot straight away, yeah. aren't you? So yeah, I, I'd worry about Rose just that he had his opportunity and didn't take it. And I think around Augusta, broke my heart. When you, when you yeah, broke mine too. <laughs> uh, when you don't get over the line, it becomes a bit more difficult to win the next yeah. time. And I think that's, to a certain extent that it kind of played to McIlroy as well. And I think. McElroy has a lot more capability to, to overcome that and, and probably will at some stage at Augusta. Uh, but yeah, that would just worry me about Rose, that he's, that he's had his chances and not really taken them. Plus, for me, he's a bit short. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we are not going to be able to speak about... But after uh, the, we did this podcast last year, uh, my dad called me and said, before it started, he said, I can't believe you didn't talk about Patrick Reed," And then he obviously <laughs> went and won. So I'm looking forward to hearing from my dad who's going to win this one after we don't talk about the likes of <laughs> John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, um, Paul Casey. I, I briefly touch on um, Francesco Molinari because, you know, arguably um, the best player. In, in, you know, I'd like to know how your stats rank him because to the naked eye, it looks like he's, his form over the last year or so has put him up there with, with the best in the world. Um, he's gone from being a notoriously uh, bottly putter to basically being the Iron Man in terms of, of, of keeping his, his cool. And uh, now, obviously, a major winner at the Open Championship last year. Um, he is currently twenty-five to one. Um, and Noel, you've always been a big fan of his as well. And I know he's someone that you you are not too keen on here. Yeah, I just think price-wise, for a start, skinny enough. Uh, I think his his price started tumbling last week as he was getting towards the end of the match play, and we saw a few holes in his game on Sunday there uh, in the semi-final. He was, you know, I, I don't think. He had maybe only one or two bogeys the whole week until Sunday, and then he had five in the final round, he, he, or in the, in the semi-final. He wasn't good on Sunday, and that worries me a little bit uh, with regards to someone like Molnari. He doesn't have the best of records around Augusta. Obviously, his improvement in length off the tee in the last couple of years will help, and you could see a better performance, but for me, he's not one of my potential winners. How does he rank for you? Yeah, I mean, he's got a he's got a very well-rounded game. There's not many courses that don't suit him as such. You know, you can kind of put him out anywhere. He could he could potentially play well. Uh, form has been okay. Um, not kind of world-beating form, uh, obviously despite the win. But you know, it's been it's been okay this year. Uh, nothing kind of crazy. Uh, his his off the tee plays. He's actually ninety third in the world this year off the tee, um, which isn't ideal. And obviously with the the added distance as well. So, um, and. The, the worrying one for me is that he's 113th, and this will shock a lot of people, he's 113th in approach play this year. Really? Yeah. Um, so that's, and that, that's just 2019, but that's, you know, that's kind of an indicator for me. Wow. That yeah. Mightn't, you know, just mightn't be the place for him. But like I said, he's, like 113th probably sounds worse than it is. He's still positive strokes gained, and he's over the, I kind of mentioned the threshold was, was 0.2 of a yeah. stroke. He's, he's just over that, so... You know, like he, he fits the bill to a point, but like you said, I think at that price he'd be a little bit short for me. I'd, I'd like to hear if you've got much info on Ricky Fowler, because that, that's one fly under the radar this week that I think 
could have a big chance. His form this year has been quite impressive. Up until his last couple of performances were just, you know, he's just been inside the top 50, I think, in his last two events and that. They haven't been that impressive. But for one who went mighty close last year, although it was kind of backdoor mm. contention uh, on the Sunday. And, you know, obviously so many major winners recently, and especially winners at Augusta, have been non-major winners. You know, I'm looking at the list of guys, and I've literally wrote them down while I analyse them all the guys who haven't won a major, because I think it definitely does play a big part in these events nowadays. And you've got Ram, DeChambeau, and Fowler would be the three big names for me that could possibly, you know, get, get over yeah. the line. Yeah. yeah, quite possibly. I mean... The thing about Ricky this year, I think, is that he's gained most of his strokes putting, um, which you know isn't a surprise for him. He's a, he's an incredibly good putter. But the rest of his game has been again, he's gaining strokes in all four areas, uh, and he's been kind of in similar form to Molinari. Um, his approach play again is is ninety first worldwide, which is you know it's, it's pretty good. It's it's solid, and his his off the tee is one hundred and thirteenth. But I think, you know. He potentially, obviously, could go out and win, but the the thing about it is, it's such it's such a competitive field at the top end there that, you know, you're getting guys like that that he sort of fits the bill. Like he looks like he could win it, but there's other guys that just fit it a little bit better for me. Um, you know, so I think there's a very strong argument that you could make for probably seven or eight guys up at the top end of the market. Which sounds about like pretty much older than that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's it's actually very difficult this year. I found it's it tricky so, but you not agree with me, it's the toughest major yeah, to Yeah, yeah. But I think just like well, I mean Yeah, it's lucky I'm about to say who's gonna win in a second. But yeah, they finish <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, I mean like like I said, it's just a it's a case of whittling it down to, to one or two that you think are kind of at the top of that list and and Ricky's obviously there or thereabouts <laughs> but he's just not quite on the, the top two or three for me. So yeah, in the, if, if you listen regularly to the Odds Checker podcast and you watch these videos, you'll know that I try my best not to give my own opinion, but with golf, I find that difficult. Um, so I've been speaking, Nile and I have been WhatsApping over the last couple of weeks about who I think is going to win. And thankfully for once, he didn't try and put me off, which was good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on, on, on Hideki Matsuyama um, for the Masters this year. Um, he actually came out as being the trend pick as well, which was... I guess good. You were delighted with that? Yeah, I was good. Yeah, I was happy with that, especially because I'd already told you. So you knew it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't me just reading Dave Tyndall's opinions and then regurgitating them, them myself. He, you know, he's a player who, for the last two years, has come into the Masters in, in really kind of atrocious form and he's been kind of scrambling for form for, for a couple of years as well. Um, and he got two top 20 finishes in those two, in those two years coming into Augusta. Before that, he had two top 10s as well. So I think we can see very clearly that his game coming into this is, is in pretty good shape. And, uh, and his form this season, um, I think under the radar in terms of actual finishes, has been really, really good. Um, we'll draw a line through the match play, except for the fact that he beat DJ in the third round. Uh, and then you, you've got a, a top 10 at the players, you've got a top 10 in the Genesis, the third in the Farmers, and, uh, and only out the top 30 in one of those events as well. Um, getting over the line is obviously an issue, but we've seen in the past he's won two WGCs, so he can, if he can get that winning touch back, I think that at 35 to 1. Um, I got a bit of 40s uh, last week. Um, he ranks as a decent chance. So Dylan, this is where you, Noel hasn't put me off, so this is where you're going to have to tell me that, uh, that I've done my money. I wouldn't put you, no, definitely not at that price. I wouldn't put you off him. Um, obviously, there's a couple of factors in his favour. He's in good form. He's 10th in the world this year in terms of form. Um, elite approach player, third in the world in approach. So, you know, I know I'm kind of rolling out the same, <laughs> same stats for everyone, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty key one. I mean, his putting is a concern, you know, he's 250th in putting, yeah. but like I said, 
previous yeah, winners. Yeah, seven. And, and he's unbelievably streaky with the putter as yeah. well. Like he gets in these runs where he holds everything. But exactly. I mean, seven players in the last thirteen years have come in and won it, losing strokes previously putting. So I wouldn't. That wouldn't be enough for me to put you off him, and, and definitely at that price, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't back against him. I think he was someone who, like for for a couple of years went off far too short for major yeah. championships and yeah. obviously he's went through a slump in the last you know 18 to 24 months and is kind of coming out of it now uh, but for me we haven't seen enough of him like in proper contention like there's been a couple of good finishes but not in the meat of a, of a Sunday finish in the, in the last one or two groups that you know I would like a bit more experience of that this season before heading to Augusta I'm thinking he can win but as you say, his record here is actually really good, and one you can you, you can almost guarantee he'll probably play well enough again. You would be in the top thirty at least, you know. So I definitely could put you off, but uh, for me, it's still I'm still questionable why he's still over the line in the major. Fair enough. I th- I'm thinking I'm happy with that. Um, so now, I mean, we've got a couple of questions which we'll get to at the end, um, but before we do so, I just wanted to ask you guys. I mean, we, we've tackled most of the, of the top players in the world, certainly the top players in the market. Are there anyone at bigger prices that you've flagged up now who, who are worth a second look at least? Yeah, well, obviously, I'll never be rushed on my picks and I always <laughs> like to wait till the Monday or Tuesday and uh, not get out too early with my decisions in, ca- in case I change my mind. But uh, as I say, I, I am concentrating towards the top of the market. But there's a few, not at huge prices, but just down the market a bit that I think could be a bit of value and whether or not I'll go with them or back them or not, we'll see next week. But I think Jason Day could be drifting to a decent enough price. Uh, obviously, he's a bit of a mystery. <coughs> whether what Jason Day is going to turn up, um, whether he's you know going to be fit or even if he isn't fit, is it? You know, it's, he's just he's a bizarre yeah. man, like you know. But uh, someone who's won a major before, but as a capability around Augusta and as I've played really well before and been maybe a wee bit unlucky or a bit wet behind the years. Maybe when he was in contention there a number of years ago that he just wasn't experienced enough to see it through. But he's one drifting to a decent enough price. Yeah, 33 to 1 with Boyles at the moment. Another one is Adam Scott. Uh, showed decent form earlier on in the year as well. Obviously, he's cured a lot of his, his uh, putting worries and he was put, I think, putting the flag in the hole has, has helped him a fair bit. But he's another one with Augusta Farm, obviously he's won there before. So there are two guys for me and another one, maybe Tony Fina, who finished 10th last year on, on one leg after going over in the ankle in the, in the par oh, three event. Like so, the is that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there are three guys that are not at huge prices, but I, I, again, as we said before earlier on, the top 30 in the world kind of is the place to look. Yeah, Tony Fina, 45 to 1 with bet 365 at the moment. Adam Scott, 45 to 1 with Unibet and 888. Uh, Dylan, anyone for you? Uh, show just a little bit down the field, obviously at the 45s. And then I think the one, the, the only one that stood out for me a little bit further back was Gary Woodland. Um, kind of fits the bill around the course. He's, you know, he's in really good form this year. He's, he's over that threshold that I talked about for the, the short-term form. Um, only concern is his potting a little bit, but like I said, I'm not that worried about somebody coming in not potting that well. So I think, you know, I think he's around the 80s or so. I think that's a that's a decent price on him. So the one thing I'd be worried about with him is I don't know if there's any stats to back this up, but from certainly what I've seen in the eye, uh, he hits the ball a lot lower these days, and I've seen him hit so many stingers off the tee and uh, 
plenty of left to right shots, which doesn't exactly suit Augusta. But I've seen so many, so much of the game now that it's very low. Yeah. I don't know if there's any stats to back that up, or, but it certainly looks to me as if his game's kind of changed over the last couple of years. And Although he's played very well. It's interesting how the market takes it into account as well, because I mean, Brandon Grace, who I spoke about earlier, who obviously has that very low ball flight, I mean, he's 150 to 1 for this event. I mean, that, that doesn't reflect in any way his, his form or his course record or anything, really. And it's purely, you guess, because you know, it just makes it much harder for him to for that approach play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we don't have stats specifically on the, the trajectory of players, but from kind of uh, anecdotally watching him, I think what I've seen is he's shaping his shots a lot more. So he tends to, you know, you rarely see him just hitting a dead straight kind of mid-flight, mid-flight shot. It tends to be, you know, I've seen him hitting some higher ones, fades, draws, and a lot of those stingers he talked about. But I think that's, I'm thinking that's a preference from him. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I'm open to correction on that one, but I think that's what that is. But, you know, I, I, I just like the price on him. I think it's, uh, all things considered, I think he's a, a decent show. Interestingly, the one question I wasn't going to read out that we were sent in was from a colleague, and his question was, how, by how far does Gary Woodland win by? So, I mean, we've already covered that. Um, that he might actually six do shots. okay. <laughs> six shots. Um, so a couple of questions now. I mean, unless there's anyone else you want to you want to flag up uh, at bigger prices, um, we will go. I, I was quite liking the look at Yaragard last week. Yeah. Uh, rookie though. Yeah, rookie of course. Like, but I'm not suggesting he could win it. But uh, one who, who looked hugely impressive last week in his wins and the one against Tiger as well. Really. Uh, Played great stuff towards the end of his matches when, when it really mattered, which impressed me. Like you know, uh, his his rise in the game's been meteoric in the last eighteen months. Like obviously, is one of the downhill links, and then you know, just so many good finishes, and he's now just inside the top fifteen in the world. I think and going the way almost kind of like Alex Norm, but could be better. I think and possibly one who could who could win a major in the next in the next few years just kind of unexpectedly I know this is a big ask like the first time at Augusta but yeah. I'm thinking maybe even later on in the year just someone who could win uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes well and maybe maybe one to look for in the extra markets when they're priced up next week top continental European something like that. yeah look out for that because Nile and I will try and get on the phone early next week to record a, a little special podcast on their specials markets as well sounds like you and I might be having a rookie match bet um, at Wallace against Lucas Biagard but we'll discuss that off air um, after the podcast um, a couple of uh, yeah a couple of uh, questions now from people that they have sent in um, what do you think of Kucha's 50 to 1 price considering in the form he's in this year and he's finished in the top 8 at Augusta four times in the last seven years I don't remember writing that but it literally reads like something exactly something I might write so that's weird um, Cooch Cooch's in good form, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no debate in that. He's played well this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I've never really, like, obviously he's got a good record around Augusta as well. I've never really liked him around there. I just, I can't see him closing it out there for some reason. Uh, that's kind of more of an opinion of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real numbers to back that up, but I just can't see him getting over the line. Um, but 50s is, is probably a fair price on him. Someone's playing very well all yeah. year. Like. Obviously, yeah. we're back and going to win the Sunday one. And, uh, First play of the year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. i played very well since. Obviously, played well last week. But uh, I think we are seeing a bit of a different culture nowadays than what we've seen in previous years. And if there's ever going to be a time where you could win a Masters or a Major, it might be, it might be now. Like. It's worth also pointing out that, that in that kind of tussle he had with Jordan Steve. 
in the Open Championship. Like he played absolutely brilliantly that did, day. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he kept the pace and they went miles clear of the rest of them. It wasn't a, a he choke didn't, he didn't, in any he way. Didn't, like, Make many birdies or anything. No, just, just, he, he was just very consistent golf. Where exactly. his feet was all over the place in the first nine. Um, so I mean, I, yeah, he's a he's a player. I mean, the, his master's record is obviously so good that it means you can kind of um, try and ignore the the, the, the distance off the tee issue. See, that, that's the issue for me. And then yeah. you know, you get to a, a Sunday at Augusta, and, and say you've backed the likes of Kutcher. I mean, you go to the, the fifth hole, for example, which has been an excellent this yeah. year. I think they've put another thirty or forty yards on. So it was tough enough without that on it. And you, you just think he, he's he's probably going to be going in there about hybrid. And the, see, on, on a Sunday, that hole is absolute dynamite. And you, you hit the furrow and you're just thinking to yourself, if you're back on God, we'll be lucky to get out of, out of this hole with a bogey. And it's also surprising to see him turning up at the Valero this weekend, having played so much golf last weekend, Wednesday through to Sunday, to see him going and playing another, another presumably four days before the Masters seems like a bit of a... Just a bit surprising. You thought you may take the weekend off just to kind of mm -hmm. recharge the batteries after losing that. Maybe, well. maybe those kind of guys just like the ride of yeah. Like obviously, he's always been one who's played a lot of played golf. Hasn't he down the years? Yeah. He's, he's never taken many breaks. But uh, as I say, if there's ever going to be a time you could win one, it probably is this year. And uh, so two more questions before we. I'm going to ask you for your bet of the week, your long shot of the weekend, and your lay of the weekend as well. Um, two more. So this is: Is Mark Leishman at three to one to be top Aussie, the bet of the century? Um, I'm guessing, given you know you've already mentioned uh, Jason Day and Adam Scott, your answer is going to be no. No, because I think, I think, <laughs> no, I think Leishman has a, has every chance of going well again. Uh, obviously, he's always been a popular choice at Augusta this last couple of years. If yeah. you read previews and, and tipsters, or something, you know, the, I think he went well there very well, like a, a number of seven or eight years ago now. But uh, he's one of those non-major winners who definitely has the ability to to get over the line. I'm very impressed with his wins in the last couple of years because they've been mainly from the front. He's, he, I think he's proved a, a yeah. very good front runner. And someone who gets the lead is definitely not afraid of winning. Yeah, I mean, again, he's obviously in good form this year. He's, he's top 100 in the world in all four areas, so well-rounded game. Uh, I don't think it's the bet of the century, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, might be worth a little bit, but yeah, I, I quite like Adam Scott as well. I think he's, he's rounded into form nicely as well and the kind of you know, historically, him not being the best putter is, is less of a concern here than than usual. So, you know, I, I think Adam Scott could go well, so I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be lumping on Leishman top Aussie, but I think in the outright market and the each way, he could be, uh, could be worth a look. And the final player we're going to talk about is John Rahm. Uh, I'd be amazed if any other Masters Preview podcast covers as many players as we have, but uh, hopefully, we've, hopefully we've covered the winner at some stage. Uh, considering Rahm has only finished in the top 10 of a major twice in his career and missed the cut in two of the last three. Why do you think he is such a short price at 16 to one and what price would you back him at? We'll go for the, why do you think he's such a short price first? Um, I think it's probably just his recent form. Um, you know, he's, he's had a very good record this year. He's played very well. Uh, just get his numbers up here, but yeah, he's ninth in the world this year. Um, second off the tee and 75th on approach. So, I mean, he's played very, very well this year. I think that's, that's justification for that kind of price. Um, I mean, obviously the fact that he's never got over the line in the major, he's, you know, he's never really, he hasn't won any, ma you know, kind of big events, anything that does that's comparable to the Masters, really. So, um, I think that would be a negative in in his bracket. So. And that, you know, that, that shot at uh, at as well probably doesn't really help. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knowing that he's liable to do that, I mean, he could be. And, and that's there at the Masters as well. Yeah, like yeah. We've seen it so many times before where someone's on, on 12 <laughs> or whatever, you know, yeah. and, and it all kind of capitulates. So 
knowing that that's in the bag would be a, another big negative for me on and, him. Unless you're Sergio, then you knock it on the hold of Um I, I think that, as I, obviously with Ram, he's uh, obviously his temperament is, is always talked about, and it's very important with regards to, to winning the major championship, but it's, it's so much more important this week in Augusta. As I said earlier on, I think the key to, to winning this will be the par four scoring, and he's just not somebody that strikes me over the course of four days to have the patience to grind out that level par or a couple under par on the par fours to, to be, you know, he, he could make mince me to the par fives on his day, but uh, you need to be very patient and have a level head and be quite, uh, I just don't see a minute, I just don't see that par four scoring being good enough. And it's interesting that we talk about kind of the, the mental capacity going into a Masters. Um, you picked Paul Casey last year, whose um, ability to get over the line has been questioned in the past. You obviously got that win a couple of weekends ago and, and did well to do so. It, with, with the Masters, do you look at this this more like, than other events, or is it something that you just have to kind of always look at when you're winning? Well, maybe a bit. It's, it's tough to get over the line in any golf tournament, and I think uh, the, the general public, so to speak, give uh, players far too much stick for yeah. you know, and, and, and label players bottlers far too much and far too Someone easy. has to come it's second, not the case. Yeah. You know, Paul Casey is not a bottler, like, yeah. no matter how many times he may individually bottle a tournament or whether it just doesn't work out for him or not. Where the golf tournament is such a complex thing in the, in the head and the hands and you know it's just not easy and it's, it's easy for the general public to go ah you can't back him sure he never he, he never gets over the line and you've heard that of Lee Westwood down the years as well but how many wins he got must, must be yeah, yeah. near 30 wins or something worldwide uh, well, Casey's racking them up and then obviously this the Vals bar has been two years in the trap now but he's a great record at Augusta and there's no doubt that just on any given Sunday he could do it and anybody dismissing anybody on that factor that you know bald answer it's just a, it's the wrong approach yeah I think I'd I'd probably have a similar view alright that you know there's definitely potential that anyone could show up Casey for instance could definitely show up and win it but I do kind of I'd factor into the analysis a little bit the, you know whether they've got over the line in comparable events so like Shelfley for example winning WGC yeah. that's a big thing for me that he's you know that's a, a big event that he's got there JT obviously having won uh, you know his major before I think that's a it's a factor for me to be a little boost you know on a if it was going if it was kind of a deciding factor between backing somebody and not backing them it would be kind of that element of it yeah well I remember that that back nine of JT's and the USPJ was some hairy iron shots going to greens that day yeah fitting it into the into the uh, yeah into the mount of the back um yeah so we're going to close it off there um and just ask you guys both I'll start with Niall just on your best bet your long shot and your lay of the week. Best bet at the minute is going to be Dustin Johnson. As I say, I won't be rushed on the pick. So yeah, uh, Dustin Johnson being my pick of the week. So next week, I'm gonna, even though you know, plenty will say it's not major value or anything. It's not something I particularly do for major because the prices are there and they ain't going to move too much. So I think Dustin Johnson is the most likely winner for me, and he'll be my biggest number. Uh, lay of the week would probably be. Molinari, I don't, I don't fancy him to go well at all. I, I wasn't impressed last last Sunday with his performance in the, the semi final, and I just don't think Augusta suits him that much. And various factors come in, just uh, I don't like him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and the leg? Uh, sorry, I need to end the long shot. The long shot still really to come up with that as well. We're talking 
a long shot next week at Augusta is going to be a 50 to 1 poke for me yeah. probably I don't think we're yeah, yeah, reaching for, for three figures I would rather back some three figure golfers in some action markets so, yeah. uh, long shot of the week probably for me at the minute would be uh, Tony Fina Tony Fina Dylan same, same to you uh, bet of the week I think all around JT uh, if you can get like get 18s 10 places might be optimistic but if you can get that then I'd be all over that I've got him, I think I've got him in the model about 74 for a top 10. So, you know, there's obviously plenty of value there. Um, and then I think in, in the outright, I've actually got him at like 16s or just over 16. So I think there's just generally value all around on him. Um, yeah, he'd be the better of the week. I think Lay of the week, probably going to go Kepka. Um, just, you know, he's obviously, you know, it's, it's obvious that he's won three of his last six or whatever, but. Um, just the recent form has put me off him a lot. I'm not convinced it's there. I think there's, there's been a, a lot of weight loss or something going on there. I don't know what the yeah. underlying story is to that, and I don't know how much that's going to affect his game, but he says he's struggling for touch and he's lost a few yards off the tee. So, you know, that's just another negative on, on him. So I think he'd be my lay of the week. And then long shot, uh, I'll take 45 to 1 on Shelfley as, yeah, nice. <laughs> as a long shot. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'm going to give my uh, opinions very briefly. Hideki Matsuyama is my uh, is my pick. Uh, my lay is John Rahm. And don't say that we don't give you something back. I'm going to tip up at a thousand to one shot on the exchange in uh, in Satoshi Kodara. Um, I thought he played uh, decent golf at the WGC last. He came tied 25th in the Masters in his, in his debut season. He's won on the PGA Tour before. He's probably going to come nowhere. But I don't really see how he's at the same price as uh, as the likes of, of Woozy. So. Um, if you want to have, have, <laughs> yeah, so if you want to have one pound on a thousand to one shot, um, don't blame me when uh, when he's shot a couple of eighties. Um, thanks very much, guys. Uh, cheers, Nala. Cheers, Dylan, for your input. As I say, next week, hopefully, Nala and I will be able to find some time to have a quick chat on the specials market. And make sure you look out for his column that will be coming out probably Monday, Tuesday. Um, Monday probably before the event and keep an eye on all the stuff that the 15th club are doing probably best to do so on social media I'm guessing yeah, yeah on Twitter account or on the website yeah yeah so you can find all that stuff there analysis over the week ahead of it and during it I'm sure